Okay, welcome back. Thank you for being here. I hope everybody's well or well enough and uh, <clears throat> using the challenging catalyst uh, of the current time on Earth um, to as best we can. And um, there's a quote from Nityananda in the page on the page cosmicharmony.com the bio that I read long time ago as the first one of the first classes here in the series uh, regarding testing and this is just Nichinanda's take on it and I think it's uh, useful to read it again he said there are various tests to which a devotee or I'd say anyone is subjected they could be of the mind or the intellect of the body and so on a number of such tests are there in fact God or we can say the law of karma or the universe God is conducting tests all the time every occurrence in life is a test every thought that crops up in the mind is in itself a test to see what one's reaction will be hence one must be always alert and aloof conducting oneself with a spirit of detachment viewing everything as an opportunity afforded to gain experience to improve improve oneself and go on to a higher stage higher stage is a not much different than uh, continued or deepened cultivation of love wisdom and uh, awareness of reality beyond um, mis misconception <clears throat> and so improve oneself is uh, particularly development of the higher three the higher four chakras and clearance of the lower three as I've said countless times and so you can say that that this term that this current condition or situation uh, for humanity and civilization and all the peoples all the humans on this planet is a major collective testing and there are elements of collective punishment going on from leadership to the people clearly in my view and uh, much injustice and deception and um, real wicked activity actually <clears throat> more than before in a sense yeah I think and um, we chose to be here and um, we should see things clearly and call spades as they are and see where um, people are at around us as well and who's a friend and who's willing to work together and who can't and who's obstructive and who's a confirmed troublemaker <clears throat> some people there are just attached to anger and blame they like it they make a home they're already in hell they're already in hell the people who are in in a mind of permanent aggression and anger and frust and, and not frustration necessarily but anger at other and walk around and uh, all they know is win-lose um, and those people we should avoid and um, when it's crooked I leave it alone <laughs> and um, we can wish them well and bless them if we can get beyond our own anger frustration and our own 
distorted process or any distorted reaction to their distortion and then move to the higher level of uh, love wisdom and uh, clear awareness clear seeing, clear knowing uh, and balance and big picture this is my understanding of green, blue, indigo fourth, fifth, sixth chakra activation or qualities of mind from their activation and that's difficult and so there's collective testing now there's intensified individual testing now Uh, much is um, clear to be seen more than ever before the fourth density green ray vibratory environment strengthens invisibly around us within us Um, negativity negativity is strengthening and positivity is strengthening but (laughs) they won't see it on the on the uh, mainstream media which is how we get most of our information or how most people do Um, in the alternative media I see a lot of people getting clear uh, and some falling away or you know it's totally subjective I have my opinion you have yours (laughs) and mine works for me and uh, I hope yours works for you in the end it just doesn't matter what other people think it matters what's true that's my opinion and so you can't make everybody happy and some people angry dogs bark they like barking they can't stop barking the beings in hell are in hell they're not going to get out of hell because they they can't take responsibility for having put themselves in hell and they can't ask for help (laughs) because they're still too angry and um, distorted or damaged in mind uh, likewise, there are people that um, are unworkable. And then there are others that, that are dear and lovely. And they're dear and they're lovely because that's just who they are. And um, we shouldn't um, be confused. Chinese Buddhists saying snake dragons and snakes commingle about the different types of monks in Chinese Buddhist temples. Uh, this is an old phrase, maybe a thousand years old, I think. And uh, the dragons are the noble or those that are committed to the true path and virtue. And the snakes are those that um, appear to be virtuous but are not and are manipulators and um, self-serving. And um, that's the way uh, communities are, mixed with both. And that's the way the environment around us is, it seems, mixed with both. And Ra said that at the end times there'll be this strengthening of uh, individuals and groups that are polarized, positive and negative both. And being in an environment of strengthening polarity is uh, part of our testing at the present time. And you can say God's conducting the test. You can say that the universe is self-testing, self-testing mode. You can say that it's the the winnowing of the, the... the chaff from the seed or the the grain from the husk those that are committed on the positive path um, will reap the benefits Uh, and those that are um, that don't know they're in hell will stay in hell and those that that proceed with anger will remain so and they keep blaming others for their pain but actually the pain is self-generated um, in some way it's all complicated and subtle but yeah we uh, are here by decision 
it is not accidental. And then those who don't agree will go on disagreeing and saying, oh, it means nothing, oh, there's the skeptics, nihilists, atheists, materialists. Okay, fine. So, um, hence one must be always alert and aloof, meaning keeping one's eyes open, conducting oneself with spirit of detachment, vairagya, which is right detachment. Uh, and that's very important. Viewing everything as opportunity to gain experience. It's all for our learning, ultimately, learn, grow, and help to improve oneself and go on to a higher stage. Um, yeah, that's the purpose of life. And so, <clears throat> from that, let's go back to reading close to the end here of Nityananda in Divine Presence. And we're getting close to, um, we're, we're very, we're right, right at the last day here. Um, the last day of his life, not the last day of the universe, <laughs> according to some fundamentalists who talk that way. And Nityananda, um, in the previous chapter where we were last week, Nityananda's passing, August 8, 1961. Today we're going to go into Nityananda's passing, part 2, also August 8, 1961. How uh, he had made it known, but only few got it, that soon he'd be leaving. And here we're at the point of he's now about to leave the physical body and calling for various devotees calling for those people who to give them an opportunity to see him a final time because he knows they love him and he knows he can help them and he knows they'd want to see him a lot, one final time and he knows um, this is it <clears throat> and um, it this sort of a charged moment it's a any kind of a situation that um, is significantly different, significantly in contrast, of significant contrast to the normal, the normative, the common, the ordinary, the regular. What, some significant deviation from the norm, like in statistics, um, is a big deal. And that's also where we can identify testing. Um, moments of uh, existential testing or spiritual testing are commonly uh, indicated by the the contrast, right? Signal to noise ratio, or the <laughs> the contrast of um, change uh, of uh, novelty between the nature of the current experience and the norm of how life experience, daily experience, has normally been for that individual, or in this case for the collective. And so they have been going on years, year after year with Nichinanda speaking a little, doing much, being there. And now that um, normative condition is gone, it's a, a high deviation time or a time of high contrast to the norm because uh, you, you, you know, you, you'd only die once in a lifetime, or one only ends, ends the incarnation normally one time and off he goes, and that was about to happen. And so he's preparing people who he knows wants to see him a final time, and uh, his view is that more work can be done in the subtle, and that it's enough. And I 
would read again the quote, the passage that is what he was supposed to have said a little after midnight, speaking to uh, Hegday, um, the engineer, who had a feeling that he should be there and was with Nichinanda the last evening. Nichinanda, or Hegday, I guess, account recounted the story that Nichinanda told to him that he said, Nichinanda said, people only come here for money, and the more they get, the more they want. Their greed is boundless. Sometimes they arrive hungry and with only the clothes on their backs, but soon they demand, start demanding luxuries like cars and houses. One would think that with their basic human needs satisfied, they would seek something higher, something spiritual. But they persist. There is little point in allowing this body to continue. Tomorrow I will take samadhi. And that um, was repeated three times, that phrase, tomorrow I'll take samadhi. And um, I don't think he would have said that in 1941, but it's 1961. The difference is 20 years <laughs> of... Um, pretty much uh, acting akin to a wish-fulfilling gem or jewel. Buddhism, like Om Mani Padme Hum, the Mani Padme. Mani is stone, Padme is lotus, or Padma, lotus, Sanskrit. Padma, Padme, Peme, sans in uh, Tibetan, is a lotus gem, lotus jewel. Lotus jewel. What lotus jewel? Nityananda was uh, akin to a lotus jewel, just in the sense that he did so much for so many. <laughs> I mean, how many people uh, at their funeral have uh, 50,000 people um, in, in deep reverence? I mean, really? <laughs> uh, you don't get 50,000 people in deep reverence coming into the middle of uh, that portion of, of anywhere, of India, unless the person is beloved by, by, by many, many. And that's what he was. And yet, the uh, picture that he saw in 61, and again, I'd say different than 41, was that he, uh, that um, they, the majority didn't want spiritual self-improvement. The majority demonstrated, proved to him that really the majority just wanted continual or endless material gain, like luxury. And did not seek anything higher. And f after the satisfaction of basic human needs, actually they just were seeking, majority it seems, were seeking um, greater quantity and quality of um, human um, acquisition or material acquisition. They didn't want anything higher than the 3D plane um, enrichment, self-enrichment in material, financial, object forms. And <clears throat> uh, and that was enough for him. And that was, um, there was no need for him to continue. And that's, I think, the case with many of these teachers, is they get to a certain point, and maximal service has been rendered, and the um, worm turns, it could be said, <clears throat> like that. <laughs> and um, it's enough. Okay, I leave now. So, and the other paragraph, the last paragraph of the previous chapter that bears repeating, where Nityananda, the last sentence saying, tomorrow I'll take samadhi, he repeated three times, Engineer Hegde was stunned because 
While Nichinanda was very weak, doctors had found nothing clinically wrong with him. Most devotees fully expected him to recover. That just shows you how wrong most devotees were. So, e- even with such a teacher, even with such a great teacher, um, they the, the, the surrounding people didn't see it. That's very common. <laughs> and then there are people say he wasn't a great teacher. He was terrible. And I want you to know he was terrible. <laughs> okay. I mean, that's just the way um, 3D minds operate here. Um, so, <clears throat> even though he was the, this way, um, most around him couldn't see the truth that he was ready to leave. They expected their hope not realized seeing clearly what to expect so i say expect reality don't expect your hope don't expect your hope or fear right don't we have a hope we have a fear that's not the same as a realistic assessment of a likely future condition uh the, the realistic assessment of a likely or potential future conditions is an objective work of mind it's a testing of mind and it should it the, the test could be called the failed in the cases when we um, let our hope and fear cloud our vision of the assessment of the future that should be or could be expected so they couldn't <clears throat> their hope for him and their fear of him of losing him their hope to have him forever and fear of losing him uh, clouded their judgment, their assessment of what to expect. But some, only a few could see clearly, even though he was as he was, most around him couldn't see clearly. And this, these moments of high um, existential intensity, you know, the, the high contrast moments when something un- very unusual is occurring, a glitch in the matrix or a glitch in the norm or oh, it's beyond the normative, uh, really exposes where people are at, actually. People really uh, kind of, uh, the, the cement hardens, <laughs> or the cracks in the facade uh, finally become visible, or become quite visible for many to see. So soon he began calling for Swami Janandananda, 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 demanding to know why he had not come, and that's uh, further testing, to him, perhaps to that Swami, when Hegde begged him to postpone his Mahasamadhi, meaning great Samadhi, or great concentration, or great, um, I mean, that Samadhi is a term that's been, I think, misused in Sanskrit, but from concentration and uh, calm abiding clarity to um, Nirvana almost, Mahasamadhi as going into Nirvana or mm, final liberation. Nichinanda replied that he would postpone it if asked by someone with selfless devotion and love. After all, and this is from a, a Hindu story, was not Pundalika a great devotee who made the Lord of Pandarpur wait for him? I guess so. And was there no such person here? And it was shown that there wasn't. One would be enough, he said, one would be enough to, po- to put off the samadhi, meaning just one devotee with such selfless love. With such a person present, he said, not even God could leave without permission. He would be unable to break that bond of pure love. 
and pointing his index finger at Hegde, Nichinanda asked, Can you offer this one selfless devotion? But Hegde tearfully replied, I don't know. Honestly, uh, I don't know how, personally, I wouldn't know how somebody could say, yes, I can offer you pure love. Um, I would think that one who could or was um, could make it known in a completely non-conceited way. Uh, but I don't think it would look like, yes, I can. Uh, I don't know how it would look. I, I think um, maybe the answer is, can you offer the, the one who has absolutely pure love, which is revelatory, by the way, as an aside, there are the, there's much truth that is only seen when heart chakra is activated to a certain degree. With love devotion, real love devotion, not sentimentalism and not clingy dependency or demandingness or a subtle desire to drain and take, but just a pure, a pure uh, heart um, uh, gratitude. Um, reverence, devotion, uh, just to be in the light of the, you know, it's like basking in the light of the sun. The sun light is holy, and I love to bask in the, in the holy sunlight. That's it. Um, I don't know anything better than that myself. Uh, I, maybe that one would say, um, to the question, can you offer, uh, selfless devotion? They say, only you can know. I don't know. I mean, I don't know maybe is the only answer, but uh, I don't know a better answer myself. Um, so anyway, now let's go to the chapter that's new for today, Nityananda's Passing. Part 2, August 8, 1961. Text, it goes on. In the remaining hour or so, Nityananda asked for certain other devotees by name, but they arrived too late. He told Hegde not to worry, and at a quarter to four in the morning of August 8th, <clears throat> again muttered something about Swami Jananda, who also came too late and only after receiving a telegram. Hegde asked if he could help, but Nityananda said he needed a sannyasi, <clears throat> meaning a, a, a committed, a pledged yogi. At around four o'clock in the morning, he sent the engineer, Hegde, to bathe. Returning, Hegde offered to pour some coffee into the master's mouth, because he couldn't move, I guess, or wasn't. But the devotee in the next room woke up and told him to stop, saying that his plan was to bathe and then prepare Nityananda's coffee himself. And the yogi, Nityananda, waved the engineer aside. <clears throat> but when the other devotee went for his bath, Hegde ran down to the hotel and asked the grateful manager of the hotel, to prepare some special coffee. Quickly, Hegde carried it back, served it to Nityananda, and then departed, leaving him in the care of the others wishing to attend him. Among them, sometime after seven in the morning, were several women devotees from the early days, including a Mrs. Waggle, a professional nurse, Wagle. <clears throat> in the early days, Nityananda had served sugarcane juice to visitors. When Mrs. Muktabai had once asked why, he said, Why? Because it is this one's juice, meaning his own. However, that morning Nityananda requested coffee and food for those present, something he had been doing for several months. 
or maybe something he had not been doing. The text in this final chapter is a little uh, broken. Coming from Bangalore, Lakshmansa Kode arrived around this time. This is um, early in the morning or 7 in the morning or something. Among those assembling since 6 that morning was Chandu, a long-standing devotee who had come some days before. <clears throat> when Nishinanda suddenly asked him for some type of kasturi, a type of musk oil, Chandu began to weep. Years ago, in Kanangad, he had told the devotee that before leaving this world, he would ask him for kasturi, this musk oil, like a, a essential oil. In an attempt to calm him, Nichinanda asked his old companion if he knew of a train that could carry them to Kanangad. Chandu answered, yes, there was a scheduled train, but when the yogi asked, how can this one go without strength in these legs? Chandu was silent. <clears throat> so he's making it clear that it's over. There's no more traveling in the body. C.C. Parekh had arranged for a lift to Bombay. He planned to leave by 7 that morning, tell his staff that he would remain in Ganeshpuri a few more days, and return to the ashram that afternoon. So he's <clears throat> uh, planning to bring Nityananda to Bombay, I guess. However, or maybe he's, it's, a, it's a lift to Bombay, or maybe a lift from Bombay. However, as he entered the car, he suddenly stopped, asking his friend to wait. He hurried to the hall, so he's going to Bombay. He, he <clears throat> hurried to the hall, where he was shocked to find the master struggling to breathe. He administered oxygen at once, and Nichinanda's breathing improved, <clears throat> but Parekh decided not to leave. Remaining at the head of the bed, he was soon joined by Dr. Nicholson, a devotee and respected eye specialist from Bombay. Dr. Nicholson's wife joined them shortly, having telephoned a doctor at the neighboring sanatorium in Ganeshpuri. <clears throat> Soon he arrived, examined Nichinanda, and prescribed some medicine, but it was too late. Nichinanda had them remove the oxygen mask and, breathing normally, asked Parekh for some water. Then, at a quarter of nine, he asked Lakshmansa Kode for some lemon juice. Kode offered him fresh coconut milk instead, which he accepted. <clears throat> he took nothing more. At 9.30, Gopal Mama noticed that Nichinanda's body was radiating a lot of heat. Speaking for the last time, he repeated what he had said often that summer. A sadhu became a swami. The swami became a deva to some, a baba and a bhagwan to others. This deva will now enter constant samadhi. Ten minutes later, he took several very deep breaths, the final one expanding his chest fully. He straightened his legs, the one arthritic as far as he could, clasped his hands above his navel, and lay perfectly still. After a time, Parekh called Swami Muktananda and others from the adjoining room to take charge of Nityananda's body. And so <clears throat> he fully consciously left the physical body. And that's how the greatest of the yogis do it, as far as I can tell. Commonly. That's, uh, those who can do it would do it that way. 
um, fully um, with with full notification given to the the inner circle of devotees or um, students, and uh, at the appointed time, um, simply consciously leave the body as they have known how to do before and not come back. Some of the terms he used are explained in the next paragraph uh, with his phrase, the sadhu, a sadhu became a swami, the swami became a deva to some, a baba and a bhagwan to others. This deva will now enter constant samadhi. A sadhu, the definitions here, sadhu literally means a good or holy man, um, doesn't have to be a yogi. You could really, again, it's commonly used for only yogis of certain sects, uh, orange robe sadhus like that, but it can uh, originally probably just meant a good or holy or spiritually, a spiritually aligned virtuous person is a sadhu. Uh, then that sadhu, a sadhu, such a goodly person becomes a swami, and literally, Swami here is defined as master of oneself. And self is <laughs> what one is. What is that? It's the anatta, atta. Swami, as master of oneself, master of the seven rays of one's, of, of the beingness, or seven rays as the equipment or the manifestation of what, what I is. Swami as master of oneself, title given to monks of orders organized by Shankara also, yes, so common, the, the Shankara Advaita Vedanta lineage, their yogis are commonly called Swami, but it's a loose term obviously used widely by many for many things, many types of um, spiritually oriented people uh, so the Swami the, the, the sadhu becomes a Swami the, a good or holy man, and this is really the path a person who's positively oriented or values goodness, not everybody values goodness, a person who values goodness eventually can indeed master the equipment they're using called body-mind-spirit complex. Body-mind-spirit complex is not what you are. It's ultimately the equipment or the seven sheaths, seven bodies uh, coming, making use of seven chakras. And so uh, the master of uh, one's own portion of infinity uh, to return it to full uh, transparency, integration with infinity, no more distortion, no more dissonance. This, the the good person becomes um, become moves to the awareness of uh, unity, goes out of duality to unity, which is the level of higher self, so called. Then that swami or self master a master of what one what one's using really the equipment um, for some people can is called a deva which commonly means angel but also literally is a shining one then a god or a higher dimensional positive being this is the last reference Nityananda made of himself this deva will now enter constant samadhi uh, so the the sadhu, the good person, the good the the goodly one, the goodly man who became, who moved to self mastery and non-duality, was then seen by some as a shining one or a god, by some as Baba or Father, by some as a Bhagwan or Godhead, one who possesses six treasures, one who is full of light. Right, when thine eye is single, thy body becomes full of light. 
some paraphrase from New Testament. Full of light means at one with intelligent energy, right? Ross said, we no longer seek light, we have become light. Same. Full of light means um, so-called become light, which really is uh, realization that what I is, is one with uh, infinite light. But that's not the final realization either, because there's a source of that apparently boundless light. And then that's um, the future. <laughs> that's the further um, state or uh, achievement um, after realization of identity with light is um, freedom from identity. Then uh, it is, though, interesting that Nishanda said for of himself, this deva will now enter, enter constant samadhi. So after he left the body, um, Swami Muktananda, who became a very famous uh, guru in the West, was called because the the formal yogis, swamis of orders, know how to handle uh, work with uh, deceased physical bodies. Between that afternoon and the following evening, there was much discussion about where to inter the holy remains, I think his body, <clears throat> the devotee responsible for the Kailash ashram's construction proposed building a subterranean room there. Other devotees suggested a site on the hill behind the present museum building. Another group wanted it to be where the yogi's body now rested in the Bangalorewala building, a proposal that Kode offered to oversee. So you have different opinions in factions or groups of the devotees what to do with the body and his other remains and possessions. However, the site ultimately chosen for the Samadhi Shrine was the recently reconstructed old ashram building. Nityananda had always said that sages gathered there, and it was remembered with what urgency he had ordered the slab roof installed during that summer's monsoon. So they remembered, ah, he had, uh, urgent, he had asked us strongly, urgently, to con con conclude or, or finish the construction of the roof. Uh, and I think they realized, it seems rightly, that he wished to, to have the body put there. On the morning of August 9, I guess after the, the last breath, Captain Hatengi arrived at his office to find a telephone message calling home. He learned that Mrs. Muktabai had sent a telegram saying that Nityananda had taken Mahasamadhi the day before, and internment, internment, not internment, internment, interment of the body uh, would be in the next three days. He somehow managed to reach Bombay at 11 that night, only to learn that the ceremony would occur the next morning. At that hour, there were no trains or taxis, and he spent a dismal night waiting for the morning train, which he caught. I bet that was a very heartbreaking experience. He pulled into Basain, now the Vasai Road, around 5.30 a.m., to find 150 other people stranded en route to Ganeshpuri. The state transport office was still closed, and the area was deserted, except for a growing crowd of anxious devotees. Captain Hatengi joined the line, resigned to what seemed inevitable. He was 25 miles away, and would never arrive in time to see Nityananda one last time. As he stood musing, Five people stepped out of the line to flag down a solitary taxi, but the driver refused to make the trip 
and they trudged back to the throng. By now, the hopelessness of the situation drove Katengi to pace up and down <clears throat> from the station to the fork in the road, to the right lay Ganeshpuri, to the left Basain and the fort. Pacing this 200-yard stretch several times, he again came back to the fork in the road. This time, however, he saw an old but empty seven-seat vehicle approaching from Basain. He hailed the driver, who agreed to take Hatengi and six other devotees who quickly piled in. The driver kept remarking on their good fortune. <laughs> it seems he rarely came this way, <clears throat> and had been surprised to find himself at the fork in the road. So there may be some divine intervention to uh, bring him where he could be of help. At 7.15, <clears throat> he dropped them off at the Badrakali temple. Captain Hatengi, overjoyed to be there, had no idea where to find Nichinanda's body. He managed to push through the crowd, and five minutes later saw the body being carried from the Bangalore while a building and, pay, and placed on a jeep. At that moment, the sun broke through the drizzle to light up the master's face, and Hatengi rushed forward to catch hold of the vehicle. The hour-long procession would circle the buildings before proceeding to the old ashram's eastern entrance. As the entourage slowly began to move, the sun seemed to bow out, and the drizzle resumed. The body had been arranged in the lotus position, meaning full lotus, uh, cross-legged, and sat in an easy chair conveyed by means of two logs tied to the chair arms. So they're carrying the body in full lotus position on a chair tied to logs carried by the, the, the men around there. Hatengi did not realize, did not release his hold on the jeep until the chair was lowered and carried into the low building. The old ashram was filled to capacity, and there was no possibility of entering. So Hatengi went first to bathe, and then to pray. By now he knew the Samadhi Shrine was situated right where he used to sleep, following the ashram's move to Kailas. He finally and truly understood Nityananda's earlier words to him that this spot alone was good, or this spot alone is good. Uh... And that's basically um, Nichinanda's um, statement years in advance that that's the location for where the Samadhi Shrine or the body should be rested or um, placed um, after he leaves in that position um, after the move, or after they move there. Nichinanda's life exemplified non-dualism or non-duality. He made no distinction between people, never caring about their religion, their sex, or whether they were poor or wealthy, backward or educated. He was the common man's friend, the spiritual aspirant's guide, and the devotee's constant companion. He taught that devotion to God went hand in hand with the performance of one's earthly responsibilities. Do your danda. In fact, he demanded that people work in the world, saying that work properly done was the same as worship. He felt people should be of the world without being worldly. He particularly favored charitable works as opportunities to serve God. As fond of feeding the poor 
always fond of feeding the poor, he built a small school in Ganeshpuri and a dispensary in Vajrasvari. Even while crediting the will of God and karmic law for the suffering of individuals and nations, he never let this justify callousness toward others. Very important point. He did not want followers, but when they came, he only asked for purity of motive and faith, shruda, bhavana, and shraddha, and the power and the freedom to do his work from within. His greatness lay in the key he held to the inner consciousness of the faithful. His power radiated without effort or notice on his part. Words were unimportant to him. Free of earthly ambition, he distributed whatever gifts people brought him. It says in the Bhagavatam that the divine power of such a guru remains hidden, manifesting itself for those who truly desire truth. With Nichinanda, this was so, and his manifestations were many. While emanating steadily from the spiritual plane, his divine presence, the title of the book, his divine presence reflected the viewer's inner state of consciousness. While some saw in him the terror of Kali, others found the compassion of Vajrasvari. Dualism was always unmasked as an intellectual pursuit that toyed with separate aspects of the same reality. Let me read that one line again. It's very interesting. Dualism, or duality, or experience of duality, dualism was always unmasked, revealed, to be, or I'll read the sentence and then comment. Dualism was always unmasked as an intellectual pursuit that toyed with separate aspects of the same reality. Meaning, the experience of duality, coming from the perception of duality, and a, a consciousness of duality, dual, dualistic consciousness, an experience that people have that I am here and you are there, and this is the many, many, many. So I'd say the experience of duality um, was uh, in his, his work, or in his um, sharing, or in his transmission, uh, it was to reveal that um, the illusory experience of duality was actually um, distortion of mind, of intellect. Um, those that were into argumentation. <laughs> he was not into argumentation. He was not lost in the thicket of views. He didn't even speak. Words were unimportant to him. Truth without proof. Like that, and so um, the um, intellectualism of the proudly educated um, that um, is really that, that seeks spiritual awareness but is trapped uh, and attached to intellectual conflict and duality. Um, was revealed or unmasked by Nityananda's light, it could be said, for some it, it was, uh, unmasked or revealed as simply playing games with uh, the multiplicity of one. The, um, the manifestation, the multiplicity that is uh, the experience or apparent reality of a multiplicity that really are 
are indeed in truth separate aspects of the same reality or multiple views of one and so um, multiplicity as an illusory appearance of unity and so he also then as a great teacher does like a mirror uh, reflects back to the seer um, aspects of their own mind in his final months Nichinanda complained that people only came to him for material gain like I said before what sort of grace this is a quote what sort of grace is possible in such cases he would ask before adding quote they don't need a guru they need a soothsayer meaning a fortune teller he called it an abuse of his physical presence likening it to spiritual window shopping right guru shopping where was their spiritual aspiration why ask the ocean for a few fish when with a little effort one could have the priceless pearls on the ocean floor he spoke of the antarjanis antarjanis he spoke of the antarjanis self-realized beings who lived in the world and experienced pain like everyone else the difference between them and the rest of humanity was their ability to detach their minds from their suffering once established in infinite consciousness they became silent and this is a quote also from the cosmic harmony page and while all-knowing they lives lived as if knowing nothing while manifesting simultaneously in unlikely places they appeared idle they viewed life as if it were a movie from a state of detachment Vairagya. for Nichinanda being detached from life's circumstances pleasant or otherwise was the highest state he was an Antaryani let me repeat that paragraph again because I think it's very deep and it's beyond my level and um probably clearly beyond the level of anybody who's listening on YouTube yeah I think so um, he spoke of the Antaryanis self-realized beings who lived in the world and experienced pain like everyone else but the difference between them and the rest of humanity was their ability to detach their minds from their suffering once established in infinite consciousness they became silent and while all-knowing they lived as if knowing nothing while manifesting simultaneously in unlikely places they appeared idle they viewed life as if it were a movie from a state of detachment for Nichinanda being detached from life's circumstances pleasant or otherwise was the highest state he was an Antaryani so we can see further ahead on the path let the mind he said be like a lotus leaf floating on the water unaffected by its stem below and its flower above while engaged in worldly pursuits keep the mind untainted by desire and distraction keep the mind detached and faith in God firmly established in the lotus of the heart never letting it be swayed by happiness or despair devotees will find themselves subjected to various tests he said like the quote before tests of the mind of the emotions of the body with every thought that pops into the mind God is waiting for a person's reaction therefore stay alert and detached 
see everything as an opportunity to gain experience, improve oneself, and rise to a higher level. Desire alone causes suffering in the world. Humankind brings nothing into this world and takes nothing away from it materially. This ashram, for instance, is full of things for devotees to use when visiting, but if this one, Nichinanda, this was from a quote, if this one leaves, he will take nothing with him. Whatever is needed will come. This one is not flattered when important persons come or distressed when devotees fall away. Whether visitors come or not, whether they bring offerings or not, it is the same. This one has no desire to go anywhere or see anything. Let one's thoughts and actions reflect one's words. This ashram's practice is not in doing good deeds. This ashram's practice is learning to be detached. Anything else that happens does so automatically by the will of God, although this one will speak when somebody is genuinely interested. <clears throat> and um, that's the very deep uh, teaching. Let me go through this final, not final, but this chapter of Nityananda's Passing, Part 2. And um, this will be the only chapter we read for today. So you see, um, he tried to alert multiple devotees and even some swamis to come and uh, make final, make a final visitation before he left the physical body. Some could, some couldn't. Many of them couldn't. And um, there's no, <laughs> there's no perfectly um, non-emotional or perfectly. Um, calm and peaceful departure <clears throat> when there's so many different devotees or followers with their own distortions and their own perspectives um, um, about hi- about the passing of their teacher. And uh, that's what I see here, that um, <clears throat> they wanted to keep him with them as long as possible. It couldn't be can never be. Um, most of them didn't accept that this was uh, as uh, as perfect an offering uh, as anything else he had done during the life, meaning <clears throat> his leaving then there that way was a perfect gift to them as much as anything he had said and done in the decades prior. Meaning time to go. And um, like the story of the taxi that appeared at the park, at the fork, to cap to take Captain Natengi and some others to the ashram, um, miracles were still being worked from the subtle. Or action was still happening from the subtle. Seems pretty clear to me. And um mm, we can't really understand I mean, <laughs> you know I don't know his mind I just felt it was a good thing out of devotion and, uh, and respect and a feeling of love uh, to read these this uh, these books to read in divine presence and um, to continue on with the sky of the heart after this book to the next book 
Uh, I do my best. I don't think there's anything wrong in trying to understand those that are beyond us. Um, but his final, his essential teaching was of vairagya or detachment, and that's very interesting. And that's um, a very uh, deep perspective on the purpose of his incarnation. So, <clears throat> he was many things to many people. Um, a father, uh, like a god. Um, many increasingly wanted him to be like a fortune teller and tell them how they could make big money. Um, others just wanted that the true, the more true dev devotees or disciples, devotees, just wanted him to be <laughs> with them and well endlessly. Um, I want my beloved with me forever. Why not? What else? Uh, so, many people don't even understand that. that. That's the thing about people down here on the ground. Uh, many people have never really felt love. <laughs> they don't even know what love is. Many people have not felt joy in deep love, or don't remember it, or long, long ago had a taste and forgot much um, what is uh, the joy of love, the joy of um, great green rag, great heart chakra, energetic, um, divine love or human love. I mean, real, real loving, um, deep happiness, love-based, real deep happiness, joy, whether it's with a partner or a guru or with nature or in a moment alone. Um, many people don't know that. And so love and fear are opposite and fear is the basis of hate and argumentativeness and uh, angry-mindedness that we see around us somewhere, sometimes, or commonly, certainly online. Um, <laughs> uh, there's no progress on, progress on the positive path without love. Um, and few people seem to know what it is. And while every musical song says, I love you, I love you, um, there isn't much understanding, I think, of what what universal love, true, selfless love is. And um, while he very much was, well, you can say he, he was self-identified akin to Antaryani. Antar, um, I think, has to do with um, uh, self-yani, almost like self-realized. Um, the yani or the knower, like again the Sanskrit yana, back to the Greek gnosis, gnosis is self known or self revealed, self realized, self self revealed knower. Uh, know thyself. Um, he wasn't giving um, extensive teaching. He didn't care really even about collecting people. He certainly, um, the, the paragraphs close to the bottom of this chapter, I think, explain very well. He didn't want followers, but he didn't reject them. He didn't value speaking a lot, but he spoke sometimes because people asked him. Uh, if they ask, he answers. Um, but the the key, um, or the the primary principle that he was manifesting was vairagya, 
or detachment. And that's um, you can see that in the case where he wouldn't during a certain phase of his life he wouldn't eat unless he was fed. Uh, he would lie for hours on the hot sands or rocks uh, by the Ganges, uh, sleep on a string, uh, hours of practice uh, on tree limbs up the branches of a tree. Um, um, as um, perhaps there was some training he was doing, but also um, manifesting uh, the completeness uh, of of true nature, identity, real true nature, right? The, the beyond conceptions of identity, we manifest but a true nature that could be called Godhead or all is one or true self Satchitananda it's certainly boundless the, the true nature what I mean who is speaking right does the body speak does the intellect speak well what if the mind speaks through the body what gives rise to the mind oh the spirit what gives rise to the body mind spirit huh? what gives rise to the octave who lets there be light? <laughs> how how come there is vibration? Well, that's source. And so, source does it all. Right? So, the only one here, there's only, I mean, even Neil Donald Walsh, who said he was having conversations with God, said, there's only one of us here. Um, beautiful teaching. So, source, all is God, right? So, um, this this um, dichotomy, the, the integration of an understanding of karma um, and and God's will is also very interesting. Um, while e even while crediting the will of God and karmic law for the suffering of individuals and nations, meaning he was talking about the collective as well, he never let this justify callousness toward others. He never rejoiced in the punishment of the wicked. The wicked. There are some wicked. I mean, I, <laughs> not in, I'm not his, his level at all, clearly. Um, I don't like the activity of the wicked. And um, it is true, you can say, that the, the current conditions on earth are both in accord or by the will of God, right? All is source. The true nature of all appearance is its source. That's the true identity. Beyond conceptualized, uh, dualistic, um, illusory beliefs of identity comes true identity, or true nature, which is ultimately the source of all appearance. So, it's all the will of God, then. And then there's also karmic law. Within the appearance of light, within the realms of vibration, within the 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 uh, differentiated realms or dimensions of time-space of vibratory light existence. Uh, the operative principle is causality. And that uh, is of uh, God's will, too. Yeah, It's the Logos that made the laws. And within the the system, the octaves, the dimensions, um, individuals and nations act and generate karma or um, 
uh, generate uh, what uh, generate consequentiality, the fact that consequences must occur. That's called causality, cause and effect. And um, yeah, um, the suffering of humanity is at a, is at a high point today, and it's very much the result of God's will and karmic law. Not that God is a sadist. And that's the thing for individual. If you don't accept karmic law, um, you we you can't progress very well. If you don't accept, you know, God <laughs> that there is God, or Creator or Source, and it has a will, and it has a purpose, and uh, existence is um, is is teleological. There is a there is a purpose for which vibration vibrates. <laughs> for which light vibrates. Light vibrates, or dimensionalities and realms and creation is in harmony or as manifestation or in association with purpose. Purpose. The purpose-driven life, as they say. Life is purpose manifest. <laughs> um, physical, metaphysical life existence is the manifestation of purpose. And... Um, here at the end of the 3D cycle, um, the greater suffering of humanity, uh, individuals and nations, is in accord with karmic law. So is the release from suffering that um, is coming, or will come, or for some is experienced now. Um, but Nityananda was never callous, so he was detached but not callous. Detached but sensitive. Sensitive and detached. Very interesting, right? So life exemplifying non-dualism. Uh, he didn't care if people were rich or poor, or they were smart or dumb, or educated or not. Dumb means there are a lot of people who can't think clearly. <laughs> yeah, really. And um, there are le- there there is a, a scale of development of mind and intellect, just like there's a scale of the development of heart or love. So that's how karma is established by um, thought, word, and deed, particularly thought, or particularly word and deed, words and behavior coming out of thought and intention, uh, that are somewhere along the scales of um, love wisdom, more or less distorted. When heavily distorted, when heavily distorted, speech and action occurs, then the consequences will be more or less distorted. When uh, the speech and action is significantly in harmony with uh, green, blue, green, blue, indigo, love, wisdom, non-distortion, then the consequences likewise will be significantly non-distorted. It's not that simple. That's not simple. But uh, that's how it goes, seems to me. And so Nityananda didn't care about, uh, didn't value the educated over the non-educated. And he also here, it says, and this we can see, Duryodhanda taught that devotion to God went hand-in-hand with performance of earthly responsibilities. Which means, um, if you're a father, be a good father. If you're a mother, be a good mother. If you're a husband or a wife, be a good spouse to your partner. And if there's a problem, talk about it to try to make improvement. If you have a job, try to do a good job. If you don't have a job, try to do well with um, a valuable, constructive use of your free time. 
if you want something, try to use your mind to understand um, its value. Uh, I mean, we, one can spend a lot of time trying to get something that is ultimately harmful <laughs> to self and other. That ain't a good idea. And so, use the mind to determine the degree to which the expected consequences of my desires will be good for self and other. If you, if we want things that are harmful to self and other, uh, it may be uh, some feeling of achievement when you get it, but the, the the future will be more painful. So, see clearly the value of various desires and um, when they are determined to be worth one's effort then determine the best ways we can see as you can see to proceed to get it I don't, I'm not anti-desire at all um, but um, it is true that some people or we get trapped in some desires but I don't think, I mean I have a long term view so I don't I think it's okay. It just happens. It just happens that souls get trapped in desires for multiple lifetimes. Okay, it happens. Those are... Uh, that's inevitable. And eventually one works out of that. That's inevitable too. Okay, take care. Uh, so, Nichinanda's approach, um, much <laughs> he's much higher than me, obviously, is that detachment is critical and yeah to um, to avoid suffering one must be very detached from desire yeah yet there are two ways to get to a natural detachment from desire one is see through it and the other one is you see it through <laughs> like uh, Ray Vespi said so to see through it is um, the ability to really um, not be swayed by happiness or despair, not be swayed by desire, to reject desire. This is very much a Buddhist approach, too. So Nityananda's teaching very much in line with Gautama's prescription. Um, keep the mind untainted by desire and distraction. Keep the mind detached and faith in God firmly established in the heart not swayed by happiness or despair, not swayed by desire, detached from desire, um, rejecting desire, um, alert and detached, I think is alert is critical. <clears throat> but how much anyone chooses to be detached from or restrain or try to drop or see through desire is a very personal matter. And... Um, Lots of um, yogis and, and seekers, lots of sadhus and good people have screwed themselves up over multiple lifetimes by repression of desire. And uh, like Ross said, overcoming is itself a distortion or a distorted reaction to an unwillingness to work with, to work with the desire in a, in a more uh, harmonious way. Repression of desire is harmful. Um, restraint may be absolutely necessary. It just depends. <laughs> but uh, far be it for me to be the one to say um, what anyone should do. I don't know. You should figure out your own life. <laughs> you should know yourself and like yourself and know where you're wrong and know where you're right and um, keep learning and growing and helping. That's what I think 
I try to do. I think that's what we're all trying to do. But we have to take responsibility for the, the karma that comes at us or the life that comes at us is very much, as he said, God's will and karmic law. <clears throat> and um, certainly not get stuck in desire and the consequences. And when the consequences are harmful, um, we ought to see it clearly and make it, make change. And so Nichiren was saying, see everything as an opportunity to gain experience, improve oneself, and rise to a higher level, like the chakra level of uh, lower triad blockage to higher four development, particularly higher three, green, blue, indigo, love, wisdom, and six chakra. And it's a matter of um, developing the qualities of mind of those three higher chakras, green, blue, indigo, and to really know what love or green ray is about in terms of qualities of mind, qualities of behavior, qualities of speech, and and the way of living a green ray life, (laughs) the fourth chakra life. Same thing with fifth ray. What is discernment? And um, uh, pray for discernment, as some Christians wisely say. Um, and Nityananda is absolutely correct. Desire alone causes suffering in the world. Well, this is Kamaloka, according to the Buddhist cosmology. And uh, in Kamaloka, desire and Kama is incessant and endless um, because of the very instability of 3D space-time um, matter. The, the matter of the body and of the physical environment. The, 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 the nature of 3D space-time experience, both apparently objective out, outer and apparently subjective inner, including brain and, bo- brain and mind, veiled mind, um, are so unstable and so... Um, uh, unreliable, <laughs> metaphysically unreliable, that desire is incessant because the uh, experience of um, desire's fulfillment is very transitory. Is really You really can't hold it here. In higher dimensions you can uh, dwell longer in states of mind. Um, mind uh, consciousness, the states of mind um, are more durable in higher dimensional um, environments. So, where are we with the time? 110. <laughs> time to go. So, um, but I think that these, and I may go into it, the last few paragraphs of this chapter, Nityananda's Passing Part 2, um, are really wonderful. Um, and in fact, I probably will give myself the pleasure of doing this. I hope you give yourself the pleasure of something that you value. I hope you find pleasure. I mean, for me, it's pleasurable to read this and talk. And um, I hope it's helpful. And I hope everybody finds what your heart's pleasures are. Um, Non-distorted. Clean fun, as they used to call it. This is clean fun. Um... Have some clean fun. Um, <laughs> Nityananda is um, really Antaryani and um, um, great, great uh, sun in the sky. Um, 
the great uh, light source in Chittakash, in the octavic Chittakash, the sky of uh, mind or heart, the heart sky, the sky of the heart uh, of the octave. Uh, one of the lights here is uh, is came through this one. So um, I hope you can appreciate that too. So anyway, uh, next week we'll go to the next chapter, and I think I will at some point read some of these final paragraphs of this chapter again. We'll go into the afterward, and then uh, next uh, wrap up the book slowly. So please take good care of yourselves. See you next time, and good night.